Chapter Two of Boots and Saddles, or Life in Dakota with General Custer, by Elizabeth Custer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter Two: A Blizzard. After so many days in the car, we were glad to stop on an open plain about a mile from the town of Yankton, where the road ended. The three chief considerations for a camp are wood, water, and good ground. The latter we had, but we were at some distance from the water, and neither trees nor brushwood were in sight. The long trains were unloaded of their freight, and the plains about us seemed to swarm with men and horses. I was helped down from the Pullman car, where inlaid woods, mirrors, and plush surrounded us to the ground, perfectly bare of every earthly comfort. The other ladies of the regiment went on to the hotel in the town. The general suggested that I should go with them but i had been in camp so many summers that it was not a formidable matter for me to remain and fortunately for what followed i did so the household belongings were gathered together a family of little new puppies some half-grown dogs and the cages of mockingbirds and canaries were all corralled safely in a little stockade made of chests and trunks and we set ourselves about making a temporary home. The general and a number of soldiers, composing the headquarters detail, were obliged to go at once to lay out the main camp and assign the companies to their places. Later on, when the most important work was done, our tents were to be pitched. While I sat on a chest waiting, the air grew suddenly chilly, the bright sun of the morning disappeared, and the rain began to fall. Had we been accustomed to the climate, we would have known that these changes were the precursors of a snowstorm. When we left Memphis, not a fortnight before, we wore muslin gowns and were then uncomfortably warm. It seemed impossible that even so far north there could be a return winter in the middle of april we were yet to realize what had been told us of the climate that there were eight months of winter and four of very late in the fall on the bluffs beyond us was a signal station but they sent us no warning many years of campaigning in the indian territory kansas colorado and nebraska gave one an idea of what the weather can do, but each new country has its peculiarities, and it seemed we had reached one where all of the others were outdone. As the afternoon of that first day advanced, the wind blew colder, and I found myself eyeing with envy a little half-finished cabin without an enclosure standing by itself years of encountering the winds of kansas when our tents were torn and blown down so often had taught me to appreciate any kind of a house even though it were built upon the sand as this one was a dugout 
which the tornado swept over but could not harm was even more of a treasure the change of climate from the extreme south to the far north had made a number of the men ill and even the superb health of the general had suffered he continued to superintend the camp however although i begged him from time to time as i saw him to give up i felt sure he needed a shelter and some comfort at once so i took courage to plan for myself before this i had always waited as the general preferred to prepare everything for me after he had consented that we should try for the little house some of the kind-hearted soldiers found the owner in a distant cabin and he rented it to us for a few days the place was equal to a palace to me there was no plastering and the house seemed hardly weatherproof it had a floor however and an upper story divided off by beams over these mary and i stretched blankets and shawls and so made two rooms it did not take long to settle our few things and when wood and water were brought from a distance we were quite ready for housekeeping except that we lacked a stove and some supplies mary walked into the town to hire or buy a small cooking stove but she could not induce the merchant to bring it out that night she was thoughtful enough to take along a basket and brought with her a little marketing before she had come within sight of our cabin on her return the snow was falling so fast it was with difficulty that she found her way meanwhile the general had returned completely exhausted and very ill without his knowledge i sent for the surgeon who like all his profession in the army came promptly he gave me some powerful medicine to administer every hour and forbade the general to leave his bed it was growing dark and we were in the midst of a dakota blizzard the snow was so fine that it penetrated the smallest cracks and soon we found white lines appearing all around us where the roof joined the walls on the windows and under the doors outside the air was so thick with the whirling tiny particles that it was almost impossible to see one's hand held out before one the snow was fluffy and thick like wool and fell so rapidly and seemingly from all directions that it gave me a feeling of suffocation as i stood outside mary was not easily discouraged and piling a few light faggots outside the door she tried to light a fire the wind and the muffling snow put out every little blaze that started however and so giving it up she went into the house and found the luncheon basket we had brought from the car in which remained some sandwiches and those composed our supper the night had almost settled down upon us when the adjutant came for orders knowing the scarcity of fuel and the danger to the horses from exposure to the rigor of such weather after their removal from a warm climate the general ordered the breaking of camp all the soldiers were directed to take their horses 
and go into yankton and ask the citizens to give them shelter in their homes cowsheds and stables in a short time the camp was nearly deserted only the laundresses two or three officers and a few dismounted soldiers remaining the townspeople true to the unvarying western hospitality gave everything they could to the use of the regiment the officers found places in the hotels the sounds of the hoofs of the hurrying horses flying by our cabin on their way to the town had hardly died out before the black night closed in and left us alone on that wide deserted plain the servants mary and ham did what they could to make the room below comfortable by stopping the cracks and barricading the frail door the thirty-six hours of our imprisonment there seem now a frightful nightmare the wind grew higher and higher and shrieked dismally about the little house it was built without a foundation and was so rickety it seemed that it surely would be unroofed or overturned in a great gust of wind the general was too ill for me to venture to find my usual comfort from his reassuring voice i dressed in my heaviest gown and jacket and remained under the blankets as much as i could to keep warm occasionally i crept out to shake off the snow from the counterpane for it sifted in very rapidly between the roof and clapboards i hardly dared take the little vial in my benumbed fingers to drop the precious medicine for fear it would fall i realized as the night advanced that we were as isolated from the town and even the camp not a mile distant as if we had been on an island in the river the doctor had intended to return to us but his serious face and impressive injunctions made me certain that he considered the life of my husband dependent upon the medicines being regularly given during the night i was startled by hearing a dull sound as if something falling heavily flying down the stairs i found the servants prying open the frozen and snow-packed door to admit a half-dozen soldiers who becoming bewildered by the snow had been saved by the faint light we had placed in the window after that several came and two were badly frozen we were in despair of finding any way of warming them as there was no bedding and of course no fire until i remembered the carpets which were sewed up in bundles and heaped in one corner where the boxes were and which we were not to use until the garrison was reached spreading them out we had enough to roll up each wanderer as he came the frozen men were in so exhausted a condition that they required immediate attention their sufferings were intense and i could not forgive myself for not having something with which to revive them the general never tasted liquor and we were both so well always we did not even keep it for use in case of sickness i saw symptoms of that deadly stupor which is the sure precursor of freezing when i fortunately remembered 
a bottle of alcohol which had been brought for the spirit lamps mary objected to using the only means by which we could make coffee for ourselves but the groans and exhausted and haggard faces of the men won her over and we saw them revive under the influence of the fiery liquid poor fellows they afterward lost their feet and some of their fingers had also to be amputated the first soldier who had reached us unharmed except from exhaustion explained that they had all attempted to find their way to town and the storm had completely overcome them fortunately one had clung to a bag of hardtack which was all they had had to eat at last the day came but so darkened by snow it seemed rather a twilight the drifts were on three sides of us like a wall the long hours dragged themselves away leaving the general too weak to rise and in great need of hot nourishing food i grew more and more terrified at our utterly desolate condition and his continued illness although fortunately he did not suffer he was too ill and i too anxious to eat the fragments that remained in the luncheon basket the snow continued to come down in great swirling sheets while the wind shook the loose window casings and sometimes broke in the door when night came again and the cold increased i believed that our hours were numbered i missed the voice of the courageous mary for she had sunk down in a corner exhausted for want of sleep while ham had been completely demoralized from the first occasionally i melted a little place on the frozen window-pane and saw that the drifts were almost level with the upper windows on either side but that the wind had swept a clear space before the door during the night the sound of the tramping of many feet rose above the roar of the storm a great drove of mules rushed up to the sheltered side of the house their brays had a sound of terror as they pushed kicked and crowded themselves against our little cabin for a time they huddled together hoping for warmth and then despairing they made a mad rush away and were soon lost in the white wall of snow beyond all night long the neigh of a distressed horse almost human in its appeal came to us at intervals the door was pried open once thinking it might be some suffering fellow creature in distress the strange wild eyes of the horse peering in for help haunted me long afterwards occasionally a lost dog lifted up a howl of distress under our window but before the door could be opened to admit him he had disappeared in the darkness when the night was nearly spent i sprang again to the window with a new horror no one until he hears it for himself can realize what varied sounds animals make in the excitement of peril a drove of hogs squealing and grunting were pushing against the house and the door which had withstood so much had to be held to keep it from being broken in 
it was almost unbearable to hear the groans of the soldiers over their swollen and painful feet and to know that we could do nothing to ease them to be in the midst of such suffering and yet to have no way of ameliorating it to have shelter and yet to be surrounded by dumb beasts appealing to us for help was simply terrible every minute seemed a day every hour a year when daylight came i dropped into an exhausted slumber and was awakened by mary standing over our bed with a tray of hot breakfast i asked if help had come and finding it had not of course i could not understand the smoking food she told me that feeling the necessity of the general's eating it had come to her in the night watches that she would cut up the large candles she had pilfered from the cars and try if she could cook over the many short pieces placed close together so as to make a large flame the result was hot coffee and some bits of the steak she had brought from town fried with a few slices of potatoes she could not resist telling me how much better she could have done had i not given away the alcohol to the frozen men the breakfast revived the general so much that he began to make light of danger in order to quiet me the snow had ceased to fall but for all that it still seemed that we were castaways and forgotten hidden under the drifts that nearly surrounded us help was really near at hand however at even this darkest hour a knock sounded at the door and the cheery voices of men came up to our ears some citizens of yankton had at last found their way to our relief and the officers who neither knew the way nor how to travel over such a country had gladly followed they told us that they had made several attempts to get out to us but the snow was so soft and light that they could make no headway they floundered and sank down almost out of sight even in the streets of the town of course no horse could travel but they told me of their intense anxiety and said that fearing that i might be in need of immediate help they had dragged a cutter over the drifts which now had a crust of ice formed from the sleet and the moisture of the damp night air of course i declined to go without the general but i was more touched than i could express by their thought of me i made some excuse to go upstairs where with my head buried in the shawl partition i tried to smother the sobs that had been suppressed during the terrors of our desolation here the general found me and though comforting me by tender words he still reminded me that he would not like anyone to know that i had lost my pluck when all the danger i had passed through was really ended the officers made their way over to camp for they were anxious and uncertain about what might have happened to the few persons remaining there i had been extremely troubled for each of the soldiers for whom we had been caring had with a trooper's usual love of the sensational 
told us of frozen men and of the birth of babies to the laundresses these stories had reached town through stragglers until we imagined from the exaggeration that enough newly born children might be found to start a small orphan asylum the officers soon returned with the story reduced to one little stranger who had come safely into this world in the stormy night sheltered only by a tent no men were frozen fortunately though all had suffered the soldier detailed to take care of the general's horses found his way back with them and in his solemn voice told us that in spite of every effort sharing his blankets and holding the little things through the storm the thoroughbred puppies had frozen one by one there was one little box stove in camp which the officers brought back accompanied by its owner an old and somewhat infirm officer in the midst of all this excitement and the reaction from the danger i could not suppress my sense of the ludicrous when i saw the daintiest and most exquisite officer of ours whom last i remembered careering on his perfectly equipped and prancing steed before the admiring eyes of the memphis bells now wound up with scarves and impromptu leggings of flannel his hat tied down with a woolen comforter buffalo gloves on his hands and clasping a stovepipe necessary for the precious stove some of the officers had brought out parcels containing food while our brother colonel tom custer had struggled with a large basket of supplies in a short time another officer appeared at our door with a face full of anxiety about our welfare he did not tell us what we afterward learned from the others that fearing the citizens would give up going to us and knowing that he could not find the way alone over a country from which the snow had obliterated every landmark he had started to go the whole distance on the railroad coming to a long bridge he found the track so covered with ice that it was a dangerous footing the wind blew the sleet and snow in his face almost blinding him but nothing daunted he crawled over on his hands and knees and continued to use the track as his guide stopped when he thought he might be opposite our cabin and ploughed his way with difficulty through the drifts when the officers had returned to town we made a fire in the little stove which had been put upstairs as the pipe was so short we ensconced our visitor to whom the stove belonged nearby he was a capital fireman we divided our bedding with him and put it on the floor as close as possible to the fire the shawl and blanket partition separated our rooms but did not seem to deaden sound and at night i only lost consciousness of the audible sleeping of our guest after i had dropped the point of a finger in my ear he was the one among us who being the oldest of our circle and having had a varied experience was an authority on many subjects 
he had peculiar and extreme ideas on some questions we listened out of respect but we all drew the line at following some of his advice and over one topic there was general revolt he disbelieved entirely in the external or internal use of water and living as we did in countries where the rivers were flowing mud and the smaller streams dried up under the blazing sun his would have been a convenient system to say the least unfortunately our prejudices in favor of cleanliness increased with the scarcity of water bathing became one of the luxuries as well as one of the absolute necessities of life from being compelled to do with very little water we had learned almost to take a bath in a thimble and to this day i find myself pouring the water out of a pitcher in a most gingerly manner so strong is the power of habit even now with the generous rush of the unstinted croton at my disposal the theory of our venerable friend on the danger of bathing was fortified with many an earnest argument and the advantages of his improved system of dry rubbing were set out elaborately in his best rhetoric nevertheless taking a bath with the palm of the hand was combated to the last by his hearers when i had heard him arguing previously i had rather believed it to be the vagary of the hour i had proof to the contrary the next morning after the storm for i was awakened by a noise of vigorous friction and violent breathing as of someone laboring diligently i suddenly remembered the doctrine of our guest and realized that he was putting theory into practice as softly as i awakened my husband and tried to whisper to him he was on nettles instantly hearing the quiver of laughter in my voice he feared that i might be heard and that the feelings of the man for whom he had such regard might be wounded he promptly requested me to smother my laughter in the blankets and there i shook with merriment perhaps even greater because of the relief i experienced in finding something to counteract the gloom of the preceding hours and if i owned to telling afterward that the old officer's theory and practice were one it could not be called a great breach of hospitality for he gloried in what he called advanced ideas and strove to wear the martyr's crown that all pioneers in new and extreme beliefs crowd on their heads our friend remained with us until the camp was inhabitable and the regular order of military duties was resumed paths and roads were made through the snow and it was a great relief to be again in the scenes of busy life we did not soon forget our introduction to dakota after that we understood why the frontiersman builds his stable near the house we also comprehended then when they told us that 
they did not dare to cross in a blizzard from the house to the stable door without keeping hold of a rope tied fast to the latch as a guide for their safe return when the stock was fed afterward when even our cool-headed soldiers lost their way and wandered aimlessly near their quarters and when found were dazed in speech and look the remembrance of that first storm with the density of the downcoming snow was a solution to us of their bewilderment end of chapter two